Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Welcome to this special entrepreneurial and leadership series of Dose of Leadership brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank, where today we're going to talk to Karen Page. She's the president and chief executive officer of Kansas Global Trade Services. This is a full-service advisory firm that helps companies and cities leverage their capabilities and global reach. Karen has been recognized at the local, state, and national level for her expertise on export promotion and export ecosystem development in both the private and public sectors. She's all about consulting small businesses and communities across multiple industries on trade strategy, advocacy, compliance, market entry, and identifying global opportunities. And I got to tell you, she does totally get this concept of leadership. You've heard me on Dose of Leadership talk about this idea of decentralized leadership, that it's not about the lead at the top. It's about listening. It's about getting a culture where people can ask for forgiveness instead of permission. Karen gets all of this, and it was such a fun and enjoyable conversation uh, to hear her story, to hear how she became the CEO and how she believes and sees leadership. I really think you're going to enjoy the conversation. Again, this is brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Equity Bank is a team that knows what it takes to start and grow a business. It's been exciting to watch Equity Bank, this bank here in town, grow into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. They're now listed on the NASDAQ exchange and has locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. And clearly, this team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth. So if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader, then you're going to want to work with a bank that really understands your needs. Go check out my friends at Equity Bank at equitybank.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's join our conversation with Karen Page, the President and Chief Executive Officer of Kansas Global Trade Services. Well, Karen, I'm excited to meet you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Tell me a little bit more about yourself. Are you a native Wichita, right? You grew up here, is that right? I'm not a native Wichita. I was actually born in Huntsville, Alabama. Really? Uh, yeah, we. Um, I'm, a, I, I'm a Boeing kid. So my grandparents on both sides worked for Boeing, and it's in its heyday in Wichita. Um, and I was born in 1969. That's integral to the story. Yeah. Um, and both my sets of grandparents on my maternal and paternal side were recruited to work on a NASA project that oh. Boeing worked on that happened to get, you know, a rocket to the moon. And so, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so all the fam the both families moved to Huntsville, Alabama and worked on the NASA project for Boeing. And then when they completed the project, we moved back. Very cool. So I, I, we moved back when probably 71 or 72. And so I went to Wichita Public Schools and went to Wichita State. So your earliest memories, though, of Wichita, is that right? Did you remember my Alabama? Very, no, I, I actually remember um, my fir- earliest memory is um, of the tall pine trees in Atlanta, Georgia. Really? I remember asking my mom about, um, I because I, ha- I, I keep having this dream. I'm on a hillside and there's these really tall trees that keep swaying. I live in Kansas, so that's unusual. And she asked me to describe it more to her, so I did. And she said, "That's not a dream. That's a memory. That's outside the apartment we lived at, um, lived in Atlanta, Georgia, before, right before we moved back to Kansas." So that's kind of amazing to me that you have these it buried memories. Old, yeah, yeah. I had to have been like two. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Because yeah. I, I, I sometimes I I wonder. Like you, like was this a? Because as I turn fifty tomorrow, right? And so I'm like, Happy How birthday! Did, oh, thank you. And Sometimes I, I try to remember what was my earliest memories, and I find it harder as I'm getting older and further away from it. It's like, was that real or not? 
yeah. right? Yeah. But I do remember talking to my mom and I said, yeah, I kind of remember this. And it was just, a, it's just like almost a, a, a snippet, right? It's right. not like a long event. It's yeah. just a snippet and it's innocuous. It's walking down the hall with her, holding her hand, and they're bringing in a brand new bed. Uh-huh. And I'm not sleeping in the crib anymore. It's only like Whoa, a 10 you, second thing, right? Yeah. And so she goes, yeah, you remember that? that? And I, she goes, yeah, that. And she said, yeah, I remember that day. She says, you know, you were two and a half or something like that. Isn't that interesting, too? Because why, of all the yeah. things you experienced, did your weird? brain record that and allow mm. you to retrieve it? Why right? is that important? Right? Yeah. For, for me, the, the, the memory of these Georgia Pines is, as you described, it's kind of like when you're watching a movie that, you know, integral to the story is these sort of flashbacks. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. Right. And I can, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about it. I can still remember it. There's even a little bit of sound. There's a slight breeze yeah. as the trees are swaying. Why, of all the things that I do want to remember Why or should remember, remember, is that one, you know, so interesting. I know. I I, I thought about that, that often. And, and it kind of, to to tie it back to leadership, it's it's amazing when we think about uh, leading and being a person of influence or even a parent, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I find this, I've gone back and talked to old elementary school teachers um, or even friends that, I, that are elementary school teachers. And they've been teachers for 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a conversation with my friend and he's an elementary school teacher and he says, yeah, it's funny. You know, I get all these people coming up and telling me, oh, hey, Mr. So-and-so, thank you for you know, you changed my life and this and that. Yes. And this conversation you had with me and this and that. And he's like, oh, you're welcome, this and that. And the kid will walk away and he goes, I have no idea who that is. I have no <laughs> recollection of that conversation. My sister is um, works for USD 259, so Wichita Public, Wichita Public Schools, and has her entire career. I remember she's four and a half years younger than I am. So her, from the time she could speak, she wanted to be a teacher. And um, she taught third, fourth, and fifth grade. Fifth grade's her favorite because right in the cusp, right before they, you know, go into junior high. And she tells me these stories, which move me to tears. Right. And sometimes she remembers, you know, many times she remembers their names. But some sometimes if it's sort of that, you know, quick interchange, she she may not remember mm-hmm. their face, yes, but mm-hmm. maybe not. And she, sometimes, you know, if they're coming back, she may not recognize them. I'm like, I don't know how teachers do that. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> how do they place all that? It's interesting. But, but it plays into the importance of how influential we are yes. without us even realizing it. And yes. that's the point, right? And it's like it's almost frightening to think about how we we don't think, and I know I certainly have, it's like, well, who am I? Uh, you know, what difference can I really make? And the really is, is what difference will you make? Because whether you like it or not, you're going to leave a legacy, an impact, you're going to influence whether you know it or not. So you better get intentional about it, I guess is my point. What are your thoughts on that? I think that, you know, if you're a teacher or, you know, in my case, leading a, you know, leading a small company, it kind of puts it in your face that it's more obvious. And right. so you have an opportunity more, it's a more, it's more readily an opportunity to say, oh, I should be a leader, or, oh, maybe this is something I should work on. Whereas, you know, I think that the average person who may not be in an obvious sort of leadership or influential role, um, I think it's more difficult. Right. For, you know, just, or even just a citizen, like, it was election, midterm election days yesterday. So 
how is it that we play a role in our community, however we define community? Is it simply by voting? Or is it by having a conversation about what's important to us? Um, is it by just paying attention? And all those things are opportunities to influence and leave a mark. And I really like the way you put it to be intentional about it. I think when we become intentional, perhaps we have a greater opportunity at success at leaving positive influence. Um, perhaps not. We're all we're all human. We're flawed. Yeah. Uh, you know. Hopefully, we have the tools and mentors and you know people in our network that we can learn from and bounce ideas off of and you know iterate and reiterate. Um, but not everyone has those influences. No, they don't. And but I I do think that all of us certainly have way more capability to influence way more than we realize. Right? Absolutely. And, yes. and and you're right. And why do some people feel like, and, and, and I, both you and I, I know I've felt that throughout my life. Really, what difference, what's the point? Mm-hmm. What difference mm-hmm. will I make? I don't have the position. I don't have the title. I don't have the experience, whatever the case may be. I don't have the personality. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of those are kind of myths because to your point, I mean, yeah, I think the minimum you can do is voting. But every interaction with another human being is an opportunity right. for influence. Right. Development, growth, all that stuff. And I think if you realize that the key to influence is simply adding value yes. to this transaction, yes. then then all of us are capable of being and to me that's leadership, right? It means how can yeah. I add value in this oops in this transaction? Yes. Without expecting anything in return, that's the other part of it. We too. have a um, a rule. Uh, I say a rule. It's not really a rule, <laughs> unwritten rule, at um, Kansas Global that any meeting that we attend, our objective is simply to add value in any way it. that we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my staff, and I mean this for all of us, not just for me, for all of my staff. If they're asked to attend a meeting, whether it's internal or external then their job is to add value. And it's interesting over the years, I've shared that with a couple of people around town and they interpret it differently what that means, what the impact is. Um, and their first experience was with me, but then as you know, our staff grew and um, you know, our staff is becoming leaders in and of themselves, um, they, my, the feedback has been, I really see that. The people that I share that with, our job is to add value, whatever it is, even if it's not international trade, even if it's not business or business e stuff, even if it's you know nonprofit or you know community work or helping someone else, our job is to add value um, in whatever way we can. And so that feedback has been, we can really see that. You can see that intention, and so I think when you add the intention with the intent of doing something good, then you have a greater chance of really making a positive impact. Absolutely. I think that's the cornerstone of everything, right? How did you get to that mindset? I mean, what did it take for you? Is it something you've you've intentionally morphed into or it, 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 have you always just believed that? I'm curious. How did you I couldn't say. Speaking of memory, I can remember Georgia Pines, but I can't remember, you know, <laughs> right. stuff I'm supposed to remember. Right, right. Um, and I and I honestly haven't read a lot of leadership books. Mm-hmm. I think it's been more influence of people around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would actually uh, attribute it to more for myself. Um, I, my husband describes it as that I have insatiable curiosity. So I'm always asking questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just, I think, you know, I was fortunate to have people around me who took an interest in my well-being. As I think that leadership actually starts about caring for another human being. 
um, and just caring about their well-being, not their success, you know, not their job, you know, not their income, but just how are they? Like, Mm -hmm. really, how are they? Looking at that entire person. Um, So I think it's over my life I've been fortunate to have people who who took took time to say something to me that stuck. Right. Um, so, and then, and then, you know, in, in the workplace, um, one of my dearest friends says that I have more mentors than any person he knows. And I think he means it positively, although it could be that I need more mentors, but I think anyone needs more mentors. And so, over my career, I've had lots of people who have said something to me that then opened a door to have a relationship where I could ask questions and learn right. from them. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's just learning by doing. So I became the president and CEO of Kansas Global um, really um, almost 15 years ago. And so I was in my 30s. Right. And I was too naive at the time to know that I didn't know what I was doing. Right. Right. So that ignorance is bliss thing. It is. It's kind of a blessing. Yeah. I was like, okay. Um, didn't know what you didn't know. Yeah, exactly. So I learned on the job. So when it comes to working with my staff, which is which is really the the most rewarding part of what we do right. um, is working with young people and helping them, you know, formulate their career is just learning by doing. I figured out that, you know, with the, with resource constraints, which I think all human beings have resource constraints, right? Most yep. of us have resource constraints. You have to figure out how to do what you can do with what you have. Right. And so in terms of um, how did I learn that, it was trial and error. A lot of it was trial and error. And then listening to people and asking questions. So, for example, one of the things that I find that works, I've been leading um, our um, little company by managing strengths for years. I discovered, you know, um, Discover Your Strengths book way after I started, like, learning, you know, doing it that way. Like, I figured out if you try to put someone in a slot that they don't fit in, then the productivity is going to be not what you want. That's right. So if you move them around, but to do that, to understand someone's strengths, you have to actually look. Yeah. You look carefully, look wholly at them, listen, and then match it up. So I think the the answer, this is a long answer to your question, which is really learning by doing and then listening, asking questions and listening. You said so many great things in that. It was a long answer, but it was a beautiful answer because in, in chock full of so many nuggets, first and foremost, going way back in the beginning, what you said is that kind of what drove that was the insatiable curiosity. I can't agree with you more. I think that is um, a requirement for the type of leadership you're talking I mean, for any to, to lead any kind of life of significance or um, live and work and breathe as a leader, I think that's it's almost a requirement. Everybody I know that is what I consider an effective leader has that. The question becomes, is it is it teachable or not, right? I mean, I, I, I'm just, I don't know. I've just always been curious, right? I'm always like reading and looking and trying to find right. and I'm asking right. why all the time. And it is that that I think the, the ability to ask why is probably the most powerful arrow in your quiver as an individual for your own personal growth, but also for an organization. And particularly for the middle and below to, right. to be able to ask, why is this? What's the context here? Why are we and doing this? And for me, here? it's it's beyond why. It's what if or why not. Mm, I like that. Yeah. So, yes, we ask why. Why do you think that? Why is that the best answer? Why is that the way you're going to vote? So, um, uh, why? Uh, but then when you're looking at building, 
So I, I tell people that I'm really not a good maintenance manager. I'm really a builder, a builder of programs or services. You know, um, that's where I really that's where I really start humming. Um, I can do the maintenance. I recently had to prove to myself I could, you know, maintain. <laughs> right. But I'm really not interested in the status quo. It just doesn't make me doesn't make my heart sing. Right. Um, so I find myself saying, "What if?" and "Why not?" I like it. So uh, more than the why. I think the why is sort of at the root. Maybe it's something I just sort of pass over now. But I mean, in almost every meeting I have, I may not explicitly say what if or why not, but it's buried in the questions I'm asking. It's a subtle but powerful difference. I like it because it's, it's again, it kind of goes back to on an individual level instead of, you know, overcoming that limiting belief and saying, well, really, what's the point? I, I can't, diff- I can't, or what difference does it make? It's the shifting of the mindset of saying, well, what difference will I make, right? That's what yeah. the what if kind of pulls out of that. And well, what if we did this? What happens if we do this, right? But it's always- it's also a belief that we can do better. Exactly, right? It's the It goes back to the, which I think is the obligation of all of this, right. is to make the campsite better than you found it, right? Yes, like, I grew that up. Is, I, that is exactly. the obligation I think of, of a human, of a human, why we even exist. If you can strip everything away, it's like, well, what am I doing? Why am I doing? Well, it, you're obligated. Why your short time a year to make it better than you found it? Exactly. Simple as that. Right? I grew up camping with my <clears throat> grandparents, literally camping. Mm-hmm. I remember a little bit tent camping, and as they progressed in their, you know, financial well-being, we got like a fancy camper, which was <laughs> right. really a pool camper. <laughs> <Right. and> we, <laughs> my sister and I thought it was really cool because we got to sleep on the bed that was actually the kitchen table, you know, it converted. Yeah, it converted the bed, yeah. Yeah, but, but that's what some of the amazing things that I learned from my grandparents taking us camping um, really um, are based on that one idea leave things better than you found yeah. them. And so it, 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 in, in the case of camping, it was when you're out walking through a meadow, meadow of wildflowers or um, you're in the Great Rocky Mountains, you know, they teach you, you know, environmental respect. Right. So I didn't want to say environmentalism. That's not what it no, is. I it's about respect, mean. right? Respecting it's it. about yeah. respecting the beauty of where you are mm-hmm. and what your role and your influence, either negative or positive, is. So I grew up, you know, give a hoot, don't pollute. Right. That was part I of remember my that. Right. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but my grandmother, I can still hear my grandmother saying, you have to leave this campsite the better than you found yeah. it. So, you know, pick up after yourself, right? Um, my daughter's 21 now, but she could tell you some of the momisms that I would say. One of them is leave it better than you found it. Yeah. I don't know if she's perfected that yet, but <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but now she's running her own life, so <laughs> not, not my, my I deal. Know. It's funny that you said the same thing. I had my dad was certainly that way, you know, when we go hunting or camping. And then I was in scouts. I had a scout master who was maniacal about that. I don't care how you found it. We're making it better than we found right. it. And I think that's just that's the perfect philosophy to the, for, to that speaks to the obligation while we're here. Right? It's simple. Right? It's very simple. You can wrap your arms around it. Like I get it. Yeah. Right. So stop and pick up that piece of trail. If you're on the trail, right, and you see that aluminum can, pick it up. Right. 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 It's exactly. It's simple, and that I think that's part of. I, for for me, that's um, I don't I don't want to say self, sound self deprecating, but I only have so much capacity to remember things. Mm-hmm. Or actually, what I t- usually tell people is probably nothing wrong with my re- memory. It's something wrong with my retrieval system. I file a retrieval <laughs> system, maybe up. 
So the simpler, the better. So, mm-hmm. you know, when we talk about in business, when they talk about mission statements or value positions or whatever, you know, if it's too long, I can't remember I'm it. I'm with you 100%. Um, Drives and so me crazy. Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, if I, I mean, I have to write things. I'm very visual, so I have to write things down a lot of times to, you know, to really store them away. But when it comes to what we can do to make the world a better place, just as an individual, the simpler, the better. And and as simple as maybe not even the right word. I think that's part of it. It's also, in its simplicity, can we absorb it? Because if we can't absorb it, then we can't live it. There's got to be a level of clarity and alignment in that that concise, simple thought, phrase, whatever, right? But that's that's hard, right? It's, it's easy to be verbose. It's hard to be. <laughs> it is know, so true. It's it's hard to be simple. And when, so I, I do a lot of presentations where I'm teaching teaching um, something that most people find intimidating or complex: international trade. Um, and you know, maybe we'll have ten slides or fifteen slides, and they're usually just visual cues, right? Mm-hmm. But to get to those ten or fifteen slides, we may have started out with sixty, six zero slides, yeah. because when you're taking something complex and simplifying it so that you and you know a larger audience can understand it, relate to it, and act on it, um, simple is far more oh my God, difficult yeah. to accomplish. I'm like, I mean, my attention span is only. You know, like I said, I always say oh, I got three brain cells and two of them are rubbing, rubbing against each other. So I got the one free one. So make it make it simple. Make it quick. But it is amazing, you know, and, and I think back to the times in both the Marine Corps and the corporate arena. And, and, and there's always this strive towards some of the great mentors I had. It was this strive towards concise, simple, yes. understand. I'm still Keeping, working on that. You know, and it's and me too. I mean, it, it takes a lot of work. And you think back and you look at some of these. I'm a big history buff. And you look at some of these complex battles, these historical battles, Mm -hmm. and you look at some of the operations orders that Mm -hmm. happen, and they're on one page, like a half a page. Isn't that amazing? It's to do this. My intent is this. Do this. Here's what you're supporting. I'm like, wow. And and if you have that as a collective, a group, like, yeah, this is what we're supposed to do. And I think that's critical for leadership in life and certainly in business is like trying to get people to, what are we trying to do here? And, and, Particularly, I think for you know, leaders at your level, like where you're at, I think that is your primary job is to maniacally communicate what we're trying to accomplish and why. You know, you're and it's, so right. And you're it, so right because I, I, I work. You know, I talked a little bit or alluded to my my role at Kansas Global. You know, here in Wichita and the state of Kansas, but I also serve as um, a volunteer as an advisor to the U.S. government on international trade policy. And so that means I'm working with really contemporaries from around the nation. And my job is to talk to negotiators or high-level people in the U.S. government. And it changes over the administration. So depending on their right. position, they could be professional staff attorneys, you know, negotiators, or they might be a political appointee with, you know, people with very impressive, you know, resumes. Right. And I find what I always fall back on is our job is blank. Um, so if you think about this, so one of the things we recently did was we are required by statute to provide a report um, talking about what the impact, you know, economic impact would be on a trade agreement. The most recent was the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. So that trade agreement is, you know, about 3,000 pages long. Um, I represent the interests of small, medium, and minority businesses across the nation. 
So if you think about putting those two things together, small, medium, and minority, that covers all industries, <laughs> right. all kinds of people, exactly. all kinds of companies. And then you take it, <clears throat> kind of bang it up against a trade agreement that could you know, exist if it passes Congress in all three countries. And <clears throat> my job as the chair is to shepherd, this is how I think of it, is to shepherd the accurate, an accurate representation of the opinion of my committee. So it's not to influence them on their opinion, it's to make an accurate representation. They, not everyone has the same opinion, right? Everyone right. has different experiences. So what I fell back on was our job is blank. And I kept coming back to, remember, the objective is this. And that's what got us through, you know, hours and hours of review and um, discussion about what our statutory report would include is let's fall back on, okay, those things are important, but in this case, our objective is to understand what the economic impact is on the constituency that we serve. Had we not had, and I literally went back and looked at the bylaws. So when you're talking about, you know, in military history, you know, having that one page, I actually put it down to one page for my committee. I love that, you know, because that, that I, I can't, um, that that is not a minor point because what you just said there and what I heard is I think for all leaders to understand the importance of the power of that, it's a lot of hard work to get to that, what the objective is. Because I find it, you know, when people, when things aren't going as planned, and they always will, right? There's always something that's going to crop up. There's going to be some dragon that rears its ugly head that you weren't expecting, no matter how hard, how hard right. and how detailed your plan is. And that's why I think where sometimes detail, too much detail is the enemy, right? Because it can corner you in a box. And if you, but if, the way you don't corner yourself in the box is you're constantly reminding, communicating what the objective is. To me, it's like I hate that term when things happen and people scramble and they panic and we got to re-baseline, we got to get this. And there's always somebody that says, we should have known about this more detail, more detail. And you start inserting yourself lower in the organization, dispensing the efforts of those who should be doing the work. You enter more detailed plan, which is going to mean you're just putting yourself in another panic situation when the next inevitable, unforeseen, Yes. And what I heard you say there is that when you have that on that one page, you can always pull people back when they start scrambling. People, work the objective. Work the objective. Exactly. It ain't working the plan. It's working the objective. Remember what we're trying to do here, right? Exactly. And if you if you can if you can focus on the objective, mm-hmm. the goal, what mm-hmm. what where it is that you are in the process. Um, and that, that speaks to another thing. Understanding the process is very important. Right. Um, but if you can f- help people focus in on by communicating clearly what it is, uh, citing the actual source is also important in, in, in my world, um, then it accomplishes not just um, a refocusing, but it also um, helps to simplify. Because I, I found over the years that things that really matter or end up mattering, you know, in the end are kind of a combination of something that's very simple, you know, basic, you know, human foundational, you know, kind of a thing banged up against something that's highly complicated. Right. Right. And so that focus on the objective does the simplification and also reigns it in. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, would would I live in a world? Um, would I want to live in a world where everything was a little simpler? Sure, but I might be bored. And so the rea- <laughs> right. the reality is, the things that I do on a regular basis are highly complex. Right. And I think when we try to oversimplify things because maybe because we don't understand the objective, or maybe because it's too complex and we haven't simplified it yet, then we run into the danger of 
You know, I, I think in, in politics, we see this a lot, you know, like soundbite, you know, mm-hmm. I, I used to say that it's an MTV speak and no one knows what that is anymore. So like, it's like Twitter speak, right? <laughs> so when you oversimplify thing, then it's almost like you've disrespected it. Yeah, uh, I know exactly what you're saying, right? You still have, right. And that's, I think that's the point of what, or the misconception of the simplification. You still had to do the work yes. to get it to, I mean, it's a tre- tremendous amount of butt kicking work to get to that right. one pager. Right. You can't just tweet that or MTV speak to get to that. You no. have to, you have exactly. to get in the arena and figure this out. Right. And that's uh, painful. And yeah. And it means, you know, it means doing like roll up your short sleeves, mm-hmm. like research. Exactly. Like read. Read, read, and, and that's read, your point and then about read some understanding more. the process. Right? Yeah, you've got to fully understand. And it. then it also means listening. So one of the things that I found over the years is that, you know, and I'm an avid reader too. I I read, you know, mm-hmm. every night. I mean, yeah. during my during the course of the day, I'm who knows what I'm reading a whole bunch of stuff, and right. it's not just emails, right? right I'm right. reading, you know, State Department, you know announcements and you know, trade announcements and stuff from the BBC and the Economist and the Financial Times, all that kind of stuff. Um, but when, when you're, when you're looking at it, it's not, you know, it's not just reading, it's actually listening as yeah. well. So it's, it's me having a conversation with the people that I think are going to be affected by whatever it is that we're talking about and then really listening. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, I think that maybe is an art form. Or I don't know if it's art form or a skill set that we've lost, like to really listen. Oh, yeah. It's hard. Because it is difficult. It's very difficult. And particularly, in, that's this is amazing to me, and I, I don't want to skim past this point, because you're in an industry, in a business, and your nonprofit is so buried in compliance, stuff that would just make me take a pencil and want to jab me in the <laughs> eye and say, enough already, right? I couldn't, I, I couldn't do it. And the ability to go through all that compliance mumbo-jumbo and come up with that, right? And But to equate that, it, it, I think every organization, no matter, and even if you're Everyone trying to lead that. yourself in your family, you've got to, you've right. got to understand, and, and the, and the understanding part demands that listening skill that right. is so, and, and you could almost equate all the dysfunction and the chaos that we see both in the political and even, and just everywhere. It goes back to that lack of the listening ability to listen right. effectively, the ability to, and the unwillingness or at least the lack of understanding of what it means to roll up your sleeves and get in the arena and get bloodied so that you can get that get to that point, right? And two points I wanted to sort of make on that is um, you mentioned, you know, and we're, we're, we're inundated with compliance. Um, and, and I'm with you. Like, it's just not – it's not fun. <laughs> right. Um, but we actually – when we're talking to Kansas companies and citizens about – international trade compliance and regulations and these not fun things, we actually start with the intent. Why do we have export compliance? It's actually protect our nation. It's right. about national defense. And when you go back to why yep. and the intent, then the conversation actually changes. Yep. It feels a little different. Okay, this is really not fun to worry about regulations. But when you start when you when you go back and you say, but the intent is to protect our nation, it's about national defense, then the actual conversation completely changes. 
I mean that. I mean, and we and we do it on a regular basis because really no one wants to talk know, about right? trade compliance. Um, so so um, and I, I was going to say two things, but I don't remember what second well, that's was. The magic. That... I love that you said that because you're exactly right. That is the magic key to all of this. And and I'm not just talking about compliance business, but it's the same. I mean, it, this is applicable to every leader in every situation, particularly for the senior leadership in any organization where you don't know what to do yet and you, and you are faced with all this complexity and this and that. And what I see senior leaders particularly trying to do, they say, well, they go back to what they know and they usually were, and we're all good at some technical or tactical aspect of our job, right? right. I'm, I'm a really good salesman. I'm a really good pilot. I'm a really good coder. I'm a really whatever. Right. And what senior leaders fail to met, and, and when they things they don't know what to do, they go back to that, right? Instead of doing the intangible, unsexy stuff of <laughs> diving into, okay, I got to really understand this, but with the intent part, that's the part I wanted to highlight, and that's the power behind intent, right? To get to the intent, that solve that didn't solve, but at least it gets the organization steered in the right direction, and it starts a whole bevy of activity from even your client or even your your immediate. Um, leadership team to even the, the guys and gals on the front line, right. they understand what they're supposed to do without you. Con- I mean, or at right. least they're in a better position to, to, right. to make decisions and do things because we, we know what the intent is. But to get to the intent you have to do the work. is a so, buttload of work. So right? the intent is not just for the organization. No. The no. intent is for the individual as well. It's so right. when you talked about the hard work, um, I think it's hard work to know thyself. That's right. So sure. um, I have a personal mission statement, and I've had a personal mission statement for since I was in my 20s. And I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to attend a seminar that put that in front of me and helped me start that. I've only changed it once since I think I got it when I was 25. Wow. And I'm 49. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've only changed it once, and the once that I changed it was when my daughter was born. Um, and it's still true today. So, I, but I did the hard work of knowing thyself, mm-hmm. really understanding what my strengths were or are, and really understanding what my weaknesses are, and then understanding how I could use those strengths to hopefully leave a positive mark on this planet. Um, and so I think that that real work is not, you know, I think we talk about organizational leadership or you talk about leadership in terms of like leading a company or leading an organization, but I think it's really about the individual. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of this special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest growing banks by working side by side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. 
Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. I think a lot of stuff that you look, you're right, when you, you, you're trying to, okay, I, uh, I want to be a better leader individually and organizationally, we focus on kind of the external, how do I motivate this team? How do I right. drive initiative? How to do that? And that's all fine and well, and those are tactics, but we don't spend enough time getting people to understand that really, I and I would say 80% or more of your leadership journey for the, your whole life, you never fully arrive, is that constant um, knowing thyself, that self-awareness, because without it, you're not an effective leader because no. you have to have a deep understanding of who you are and what you do and what you're trying to accomplish and where you're trying to go. And it's essentially you have to value your, you have to value yourself before I can add value to others. Now, the, the flip side is that as I can't wait around to be perfect before right. I start adding value. It's a constant journey trying to figure right. yourselves out. Right. And there's a, always a constant feeling of like, uh, I don't, f- what am I doing? Right. You know, battling those dragons. Like if they right. find out how unprepared I am, they're going to realize, you know, but you still got to do, right? You and have it to just do, feed, right. And it feeds. And one of the things that I find myself saying quite a bit is let's just go. Yeah. We've studied this enough. We're smart enough let's to know. Let's go out and do. But the only reason I can say that and tell you that we've had some success or that I've had success, some success when I say that is because we're willing to put it back together and make it better. Right. Which means then an awareness that you're not going to be perfect. Right. That no plan is perfect. None. That, you know, no research or analysis is perfect. And it's okay. Right. Um, so this sort of, you know, I think in the entrepreneurship world, they, you know, that they, that you have the 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 willingness to fail, mm-hmm. is I think part of leadership. It's a necessity. So, right? so you have to understand your, you know, you understand what your, you know, your strengths and your, you know, where where you might be able to contribute. But you also, I think I, you know, have to understand what my weaknesses are, um, so that then I can better analyze if I if I'm not as successful as I want to be in making a contribution to whatever it is that I'm that I'm working on, then why did that happen? Right. Um, and then accepting that and then figuring out what the next step is. Uh, a lot of times what we do at Kansas Global is we actually will, I, I, this is my language, um, do a big event or do a project, right? And then when we're done, we deliver it, right? And, and usually it's to some, some level of success. We actually t- I say, let's take it apart and put it back together. What we're looking for is, you know, way, the way that we can improve that. And right. that's a con, it's like a tenuous it process. Never it stops. never stops. You know, you said earlier, you never, you know, you never no. fully arrive. Right. <laughs> I mean, and isn't that marvelous? It's marvelous. It's the edge of life. I think a lot of times people, we, we fall into this myth of thinking, God, if I could just plant the flag and get there. You don't plant the flag. But it's why would you even want to? You wouldn't want to because, because that's where mediocrity sets in. You start bathing in the warm bath that feels good to be but right. the next thing that happens you wake up and you it's like the boiling frog thing like what i'm getting boiled <laughs> or you <laughs> so fall scary, right? right it is right and so i always look at it as like the never ending journey of climbing the mountain that not, not a peak you just you rest in a base camp to recharge to get oxygen to get food to celebrate right. to have a glass of wine say look how far we've come right but then you're ready to okay, let's go it again here we go again right yes exactly and you know talking about that let's go thing i was at a um a conference last week and I was asked to be on a panel and there were some great people in the room, people who influence their communities in big and small ways every single day. And I found myself saying, let's just go. 
And I came home and I told my husband, I think I might have done some good. And he's a great listener. <laughs> he said, <laughs> I said, what do you mean? I said, but, but I think I really ticked some people off too. And I said, he said, well, that might be a sign that you actually did some good. And he said, you know, ask me what happened. And I said, I found myself saying, let's just go. We know enough. Yeah. We care enough. Let's just go. Um, and then the folks were asking for, okay, but what do we do next? And I found myself thinking, that's not really the question. It's the question of who wants to go, who wants to move forward, who wants to take the next step. Um, you know, when you're when you're thinking about making progress or making a contribution, sometimes it's just taking the first step. Yep. Just moving forward. Mm-hmm. And then going back and understanding that, okay, it's not going to be perfect, but don't worry about it because we're all human and That's none of right. us are perfect. Right. And failure and becomes can, a nonsensical word at that point. Right? Yeah. What I don't I, mean. I used to be so afraid of failure, so all afraid. Yeah, and now I'm like, if we get, you know, if in my life people are too complimentary, I'm, I'm always like sort of digging for, yes, but where could we improve? I'm right. less satisfied. <laughs> right. I'm less satisfied. So I, I just I keep thinking about that interaction last week where my intention really was saying, you guys are good enough. You're smart enough. We're all in this together. Let's just move forward. It's going to be fine. Um, and maybe I didn't do it in the the best way that for the audience to receive, and maybe I did. I don't know. Um, but my intent was to sort of let's let's stop kicking the can down. Yeah, the I mean, road. Let's just yeah. move forward together. It's fine. We know this. Let's that's go. Right. Let's, in, in right. I mean, it's the whole. I think that's where most people can make the most hay. If people, as an individual organization, wants to have an immediate impact, I hate using that cliche term, low hanging fruit, but it really is. You know, the fact that you can be comfortable with that making decisions with impartial information, you know, 75%, whatever that is, and fill the other 25% with your intuition, your expertise, your experience, and then just go and see what happens. You're going to be well better off. In fact, I I would contend you're going to be better off making a decent decision, even a mediocre decision with that type of mentality and see what happens than sticking around and waiting too long to get the, you know, perfect information make the perfect decision because it's a myth it's just not going to happen it's a myth and if you're waiting around till it becomes perfect then you're never going to move forward right it's going to be too late and, and I'm and it's just going to be this stagnant, I think we deserve mediocre, better exactly yeah. you know yeah uh, one of the things that um, I say I was thinking about when you were talking about the cliche of the you know low-hanging fruit um, which you know is, is relevant I mean, so when you're looking at making an impact, sometimes you're working on things that maybe you don't see the end into. So maybe it's a big project, right? Um, So you have to have this balance between big wins at the beginning, little wins at the beginning, and then stagger throughout the project. Mm -hmm. That's that's how you know you could apply it to politics as well. Um, but what I ended up saying to my my staff or people that we work with in the community on a regular basis, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a yeah, time. Right. But it speaks to that, you know, mm-hmm. acknowledgement. This is a big project. Right. understand it's a huge task. Um, it, it's really big. Maybe it's overwhelming. It's okay. We're just going to start with the tail. Right. It's, I call it the dreaming big but winning small, right? Yeah. And yeah. It's, like, it's just like you got to celebrate the, that winning small. But you, to do that, you got to make the decision. One thing I got is so much I want to talk to you about, but there's – you said about the knowing the strengths and going back to knowing yourself and that self-awareness mm-hmm. piece. You strike me as someone that, yeah, you know your strengths and your weaknesses, but I, I, I would guess that you, you spend the bulk of your time in your strength lane instead of spending a lot of time on fixing a weakness. Would you agree with that? I don't believe you can eradicate weakness. Right. 
there, you're, there's always going to be something there, right? Um, so, but you can you can mitigate, right? Sure. So if it's something you have to deal with. So I I do. So so look, I I run a small company, and this is kind of funny. When I when it, when I was being interviewed for the position, when I was like you know thirty five or whatever, mm-hmm. such a pep at the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> looking back, it is fun to look back, and yeah, you're like, wow, I didn't know anything at <laughs> right, all. Right, right. You thought um, you and did. And yet they still like had faith in me. That's amazing. Um, but I remember saying to the board who was interviewing at the time, um, when they asked me, you know, strengths and weaknesses question, and I said, look, my weaknesses are financial accounting and asking people for money. Now, what do I do today? I do all of our accounting with the help of a CPA (laughs) that looks over my shoulder. Um, Am I ever going to be great at it? No. Have I learned enough by listening, by asking questions, by being open to correction? Yes, I've learned a lot. I mean, I, I know, I, and some one of my board members over the years told me it was like he he worked at one of the Coke um, Industries companies. Said, Karen, there's nothing different that you do here. The only difference um, between between your organization and Coke is just zeros. That's it. We're doing the same things we're doing. <laughs> So, but but financial accounting is never going to be my strength. It's just not how I think. Right. Um, uh, so so I don't I don't spend a lot of time on that because I've learned over the years that I'm going to not get much out of it. Right. It's the whole Pareto principle, right? You can yeah. pour a ton of your time, energy, and your limited resources in trying to do that, and you're only going to move the needle so much. <laughs> and so that's why you know. <laughs> and it's probably not going to be very much fun either. Right. Right. But so, to your point, you're aware of it. And that's what the, to me, that's the 80-20. Yeah, I'll spend 20% of my time trying to improve on those weaknesses. But I, what I see people doing too much when they do this self-awareness, like, yeah. oh, see, this disc profile, this Myers-Briggs, right. it told me this is how I am. Right. And you either go like an evangelist or a born-again Christian in their first three months, and you go full bore trying to fix your weaknesses, right? Right. And you find that it's not moving the needle, and then you give up. And so I'd rather say, hey, play in your strength zone. But like you said, you're right. And I, I suck at financial accounting, but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get better. So you surround yourself, right? Right, and you learn through osmosis. But still, you realize, and you're better off than you were when you were 35. But again, you're not gonna be a CPA tomorrow, right? You're, <laughs> no. not, gonna, you're not gonna open up a CPA no, firm. No one would allow me. <laughs> right. No one would but, allow me that. Uh, yeah. So I try to pl- I try to stay in my strengths, and and then that you know the self awareness is. What does that mean? I chose a field that, you know, it's not defined necessarily. So I didn't choose, you know, because my strengths aren't there to be, you know, an accountant, to be a CPA where it's a more defined career field. I chose to do international business. Uh, that was my choice, and I and and I love it because it's so interesting. It's varied. Um, there's so many dynamics at play. Um, so many functions and processes. So that keeps my my mind and my interest at peak. Um, but it's not defined. You know, it's not like I could go to one of my mentors right. and say, "What's what do you think the next few steps are going to be for my career when I was in my 20s or 30s?" They wouldn't have known because yeah. there wasn't a career path. There right. still isn't a career path for right. international business folks. I mean, you can do, you know, international ops or you can do international sales or more and more so you might be doing compliance, trade compliance, but there's not like a, you know, a career path. Yeah. So, you I mean, I think that 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 probably speaks to my personality as well. Yeah. I, I'm not interested. You know, the reason I can't be an accountant um, is because I really get bored with doing the same thing over and over right. again. And that's essential to being a great, you know, right. financial accountant is right. precision. And, you know, <laughs> I, I'm a little more, you know, what if and yeah. why not kind of a person. I love it. What are you excited, you know, 
um, what's next for Kansas School? What are you excited about next five years or even year, even next six months? What are you, what are you excited about? What's next for you guys? Well, um, for the past three years, we've been in uh, maintenance. So let's see if we can do what we set out to do. So we took on the task of uh, managing the five-year um, implementation plan for the state's first um, export plan. So the 10-county region in South Central Kansas had the first export plan. So for the past three years, we've been seeing if we could do it. So we shepherded the building of the plan, and then we were nominated to, to execute. So how good was our plan to see if we could you know, do what we set out to do? So we did that for the past three years, which was really challenging um, because, you know, no plan is perfect. Right. And you have to tweak it. And we work with a lot of people in the community, both elected folks and public folks and, you know, folks in, in the private sector. So now what's next for us is we're actually going through a business model examination. Um, we're using business model canvas and value proposition um, from Strategizer. Um, and as a team, we're going through, and everyone's equal. So just because I'm the president doesn't mean I have more say than anyone else on my team, whether they're new mm-hmm. or experienced or not. So we're actually looking at our business model. Um, so we talked earlier about know thyself. Well, we're actually looking at know thy company. Who are we really? What do people really think about us? Where's our real value versus what we think it is or what, you know, what, what, what we're charging for, for example. Over the years, we've been getting a lot of feedback from people outside the state of Kansas um, and inside the state of Kansas saying, um, it'd be really cool if you could do more of this, for, you know, and, and just put something in there, something to do with international trade. Or we've even, uh, people have said um, in, from other states, I would love it if you'd bring your, your toolbox to, you know, wherever they were. Um, and so we finally are sitting down and taking time to examine what that might look like. Another thing that we're looking at is how to really help Kansas companies internationalize um, to expand their global footprint. So we've been working hand in hand with companies across the state of Kansas, but also with the public sector um, and community partners. Um, and we've been doing an intentional experiment. Um, we don't talk about that a lot, but but we're really, so let's see, this might work to solve this problem, let's solve this, or this other thing might work over here to solve this problem. Um, and we've been paying attention this entire time, so it's been very intentional as we look at the experiment. And we keep iterating and reiterating and then trying something else. And what we found is that if you look at some dynamics that are going on, not just in Kansas, um, but in the nation and even in the world, there's some things at play that are contributing to what we think the next steps for Kansas Global will be. Um, one of them is a workforce shortage. That's a global workforce shortage. So then imagine that you're a company in rural Kansas and um, imagine that um, that you have great opportunity to sell your products all over the world but you can't even get enough welders to mm. build your product, then how in the world are you going, no pun intended, how in the mm. world are you going to find an international expert? So what we've been, what they, what company has been telling us is, what if um, there could be a firm that would sort of be our export department? They would, we wouldn't have to hire someone internally. Maybe we just contract with a company like Kansas Global so that we could take our company global. So what does that mean and why is that important? It sounds very businessy, right? Um, well, it means that you're contributing in a way, um, to the economy. So that's an easy thing. But if you're helping a company grow, in particular in a rural area, um, in a way that acknowledges the, the constraints that are there, 
um, you may um, be able to positively contribute to that company staying in existence, growing and hiring more folks, um, continuing to keep that town alive. So right. we say that a lot. So some, you know, we're not just some people know us in Wichita very well, but we're all over the state of Kansas. We go to well, I think we've been in all all 130-some counties, right? So we go to wherever there might be a company that could sell stuff overseas. Um, and we get to know them. We pay attention. We look at them. Um, so it's not just a company and a product to us. It's people that need a job, that are supporting their families, that are contributing to the local tax base. Um, so the coffee shop stays open or whatever. So it becomes very personal to us. So what's next for us is we're trying to figure out if we can provide a solution to that problem is how does a company grow when they can't hire more folks or they can't get the expertise. Um, And we're looking at a lot of different things. So that's why we're looking at our entire business model. We'd had an idea, um, actually started last year, and then I we really said put the brakes on it and said stop. If we're looking at that, that's going to change the way we do business. Therefore, we actually have to sort of take the whole thing apart, (laughs) put it back together and see what might happen. I don't know what's I don't know what's going to happen. Um, uh, again, just because I'm the president doesn't mean I have any more say than anyone else. Right. Um, so the, our entire staff is working on that. It's been really interesting um, to hear. Um, and it includes our part-time folks and our interns. So it's not just like full-time professionals. Right, right. It's gotcha. like, you know, we have a young man who is from Spain, um, who's one of our part-time employees. He's finishing up his degrees at Friends University. So his perspective's different, you know. It's yeah. just a little bit different. And he's new. He's not, he, been, he didn't have any baggage, right? right? He's got a fresh, <laughs> yeah. he hasn't been poisoned uh, by. So that's what's next. And that's what I'm excited about. I think you may see us do more of, of that work, but you may also see us more um, do more policy work. So... Well, it seems sitting from here listening to that, it seems completely overwhelming. And from my vantage point, and so, <laughs> but I can't think of anyone better uh, at the helm, particularly after getting to know you over this last hour. Um, your mindset and your your worldview, your mindset and leadership, is uh, amazing. And I think it's the, it's what's needed. Uh, certainly in that type of business, but any type of business would would benefit from the style of leadership that you're talking about. Um, it's been amazing. I, I could sit there and talk to you for another two hours about this because I think that you, you, you get it more than most, and I, and I don't say that lightly. So, Thank you so much. So uh, I just want to mention, if you don't mind, sort of my last comment is when I'm talking to our staff or young people, I have an open-door policy. If anyone wants to talk to me about career choices or international, mm-hmm. then – uh, as long as our patient get on my schedule, I'll talk to anyone, any student, anywhere, any person, anywhere, doesn't matter, open door policy. But what, what my advice always is, if you really want to be a leader, and it's not to me about being a leader, it's about making that contribution to yeah. the community, however you define yep. it, is to raise your hand. And so I tell my staff that raise your hand. If you want to be a leader, you have to raise your hand. And that means volunteering. It means offering a solution. It means giving. Yeah. Oh, I love you said that. You're right. All you got to do, I'm a firm believer, you know, you don't have to go anywhere, sign up for anything, take a course, get a certification. You just got to say yes to leadership. And if you're willing to say it, right. the journey begins. It really does. It starts it does. with that. Thank you so much for having me What a beautiful conversation. I, I, I could sit there and talk to you for hours. I really do think you get it better than most. And so I appreciate you taking the time to, to come on. Thank you for giving me a great morning. Um, <laughs> now, I don't know. Who knows what's gonna, what I'm going to do today <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> with all this energy. Awesome. Thanks for Thank coming you. on, Karen. I Thank you so it. much. Hey, thanks for listening to this special entrepreneurial and leadership series, The Dose of Leadership, brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Make sure to subscribe to Dose of Leadership where you can hear more great stories in this unique and special series. 
If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a listen to all of my Dose of Leadership podcasts, all of my episodes, and see why Fortune, Entrepreneur, and Inc. Magazine all recommend this as a must-listen. Dose of Leadership features candid conversations with amazing guests, leading high-performing experts and organizations, large and small, all over the world. Find Dose of Leadership on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and go ahead and visit doseofleadership.com where you can find out more information about the show, myself, my speaking engagements, my keynotes, live seminars, and my mastermind events. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great day.